0: Hey guys, good morning. It is so good seeing you today. Um, We are doing something today that I'm personally really excited about. I'm going to ask for a little boldness here on your part this morning. Have you ever had a question about God or the Bible or theology or the church? Have you ever had one of those kinds of questions and you didn't know who to ask? All right, put them up. Have you ever had one of those questions, but you were afraid or embarrassed to ask it? All right, and then the rest of you? No, you're too afraid or embarrassed to (laughs) raise your hand. I'd like you to read something today that's going to frame an opportunity we have to take these questions and deal with them. There's something really important to me and and really important to us here at Fellowship of Faith, And, and I'd just like you to read this for a moment. It concerns this desire to be real. And just read. I've been to churches in my life where reality really wasn't dealt with in a real way. Does that make sense? There were certain prepackaged answers, certain formulas that were figured out, and certain ways of presenting things that... That may have been true in their own right, but seemed to mask some of the undercurrents and didn't really seem to deal honestly or directly with the issues at hand. Likewise, I've been in some churches where everyone seemed to wear a mask We come to church on Sunday morning, so we need to talk a certain way, think a certain way, look a certain way, and and keep some kind of mold going where, where it looks like if you become a Christian, suddenly your life is all together. That if you're a Christian, suddenly you have all the answers. Where if you come to faith in Christ, the hard things of this world and the mental and physical struggles of this world suddenly don't bother you anywhere. Have you found that to be the case? You know, Jesus was a real guy, and his followers were real people, and we experience real joys and struggles and hardships and doubts, don't we? And I've learned that at the core of those joys and struggles and hardships and doubts, that something key is having a venue, having a way, having the freedom to say, I can express them. I can come to terms with them. I don't have to hide from them or tuck them away and pretend like they don't touch me. But I can bring them out into the open because when we bring things into the open, that's where God's at. I mean, Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth, right? To be honest about these things is key. And it goes on and it says, so we believe it's important as a community to be honest about our shortcomings, authentic in our lives and sincere in what we teach. We want to be humble as a church and express our faith in a way that is genuine. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to take out one of these. And what we're going to be doing today is inviting you to text in any question that you have about God, the church, theology, or the Bible. I'm going to get them here anonymously. And what I'm going to do is my absolute best possible job to try to address those questions in a very forthright honest open way here on the spot all right now this is going to require something from you and I want to share with you one more thing that's just very important to us as a congregation and it's this a willingness to take risks We believe the only way to truly discover the depths of what God is calling us to do is by stepping out of our comfort zones and taking leaps of faith. As a church, we want to be doing anything that we need to to be obedient to him. And isn't that true for us? God, what are you calling me to do? Help me to be willing. Which means right now, there are some of you sitting here with questions that maybe you're afraid to ask. I want to invite you to take a risk today. There's some of you here with questions you're afraid to bring up because you don't want to deal with the ramifications of what might stand behind it. I invite you to bring them up here today. God, guys, there's some of you here with real doubts, real doubts and real questions about, is this stuff even true and why, and why should I believe it? And you're afraid to ask it in a room of people who, who all, at least on a surface, look to be Christian because they're in a church. Guys, I want you to ask them here today. So here's how it works. We've got a number here for you. one You can start right now. Start texting in to 314 at 0FOF, all right? You know it's so lame, right? 0363. And uh, I'm going to be getting here in just a moment, and let's see where God leads us today. All right? Let's do it. Now, while these are coming in and getting loaded up, I want to invite those of you who are, shall we say, digitally disinclined here this morning, that if you're feeling especially bold and you don't have a digital device with you here this morning, shoot your hand up. All right? If you're willing to put yourself on the spot, shoot your hand up and I'll try to navigate this through and uh, get as many questions here as we can get answered in, in the allotted period of time we have. All right? So... They're already coming in. Um, I got some good ones already. All right. Where do we start? (laughs) All right. Let me start with this one. And I'm going to read these verbatim. So we'll just kind of work these out together. Did Jesus never miss a high five because he was perfect? All right. When the Bible talks about Jesus being perfect, perfection isn't to say that he was the best at everything. He was a human, and as a human, he faced limitations, frailty, weakness. Luke himself will say that, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and if you grow in wisdom, it means that wisdom isn't there completely. Would you agree? So no, I mean, you, you know, let, let's just kind of be honest. Jesus as a baby struggled with bladder control, all right? When he came out of the womb, he did not speak Swahili and probably never did thereafter, he wasn't like the best wrestler on the team that would pin you, yet, yeah, gotcha, you know, like every single time. He had to learn just like you and me. So did Jesus miss some high fives? You better believe it, all right? Now, number two, why are we Christians so afraid to be honest with each other about sin? If you claim to be a believer yet live in habitual sin, the Bible tells us to confront and restore the believer to Christ, Proverbs 27 goes on, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds of a friend can be trusted, but your enemy uh, multiplies kisses. All I could say is amen. Why are Christians so afraid to be honest with each other about sin? Because they're people, and people by nature are afraid. There's something really important. Never judge Christianity by a Christian, all right? All right? Because what the Bible does, what Christ does as he comes, and he gives us these ideals of the way it's supposed to be. And what Christianity is about is not a bunch of people saying, we've got this down perfectly. It's people saying, I want that. And I'm going to fall and stumble towards it, even if I make a mess along the way, which means Christians do all kinds of just stupid things, don't they? Not only that, sometimes they do horrible things. And yeah, the Bible calls us to confront, and uh, I think there's a message of God there to each of us to, to live out what the way of Jesus is all about. Now, here's one. What is the oldest book in the Bible, and when was it written? I don't know. <laughs> you know, um, the books of the Old Testament don't come with dates attached. Neither do the New Testament books, for that matter. And uh, there's some debate in this. Typically, what's called the Pentateuch or the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are considered to be some of the oldest formulated books, at least in their, their base content. However, interestingly enough, the oldest story in the Bible is often attributed to what's now called the book of Job. Um, many scholars believe it even predates Abraham, which would be about 1800 BC, Backing up before that. Speculation? You bet. Good speculation? Yeah, but speculation nonetheless. Great question. By the way, as we do this here this morning, um, my goal is to aim for brevity. I may ask a question, and it might not have answered you directly. Feel free to keep texting in follow-ups, and we'll go from there. Make sense? All right. We are called to love our neighbors. How do we show our love without condoning their behaviors and not being judgmental. You ever struggle with that one? You know, I think of what um, Paul writes in the New Testament. It's a little phrase that I think is really meant to define all of our interaction on these points of conflict and disagreement. And he says, speak the truth in love. Have you ever been around people that speak truth and there's like absolutely no love on the planet? Have you ever been around people that in this context of love are afraid to be honest? There's a few people I've met in this world that seem to have harnessed that combination. I want to speak to those of you here today that don't have a lot of love in your heart. You're all about truth. You're all about what's right. You're all about being right. You're all about letting the right thing shine. Spend some time on your knees And ask God to help you love that person you disagree with. And see if there's room in your heart for compassion for those who are doing things in this world that are just wrong. Ask yourself if Jesus loved a person like that enough to get nailed to a piece of wood and say, Father, forgive them for for what they did and why I have to do this. Forgive them for they know not what they do. See if you can adopt that attitude. For those of you who call yourself lovers but are really wimps, in the room, I encourage you to get on your knees and ask God to give you a spirit of boldness, of a willingness to risk, of a willingness to engage in confrontation, and a willingness to be persecuted, to ask God not to hide behind this thing of love because, you know, when you see someone doing something destructive, it's not loving to let them keep doing it, is it? I think there's a different message from God to each of us depending on where we fall. But I think it begins with all of us with a big dose of humility, doesn't it? Approaching him as Jesus would. Great question. Let's see. God knows when we will die. Does that also mean even if you were murdered or maybe a car crash? Short answer is yeah. There's a a term in theology called omniscience, omniscience means you know everything. Fundamental to the Christian idea of God is that God knows everything. And that includes things that are coming in the future. Now, I know a follow-up question is coming. Well, does that mean he foreordains it? I'm not even going there right now. You can text it, all right? But does God know? Yeah. And and to, to the person here who asked this, I don't know if there's something close to home that this is coming out of, but I want to encourage you to take comfort In the fact that God knew. Because it means nothing catches God by surprise. It means there's no place in this world where God is not present. It means even in the face of the most evil, horrible things that we face as humans, God is aware. God is there. And you can take heart in that when the hard time comes. Here's one. My daughter knows that Jesus was born to Mary. But she wants to know if... God was born. Uh, no, he just was. Yep. <clears throat> okay, you, you know, replace the mental fuses later. Um, no, no, God always was, always is, and always will be. God did not have a beginning. God is the beginning, if we can even talk in that language. Great question. Um, can you be a homosexual and be a Christian and act on that behavior? All right, there's a few questions here. Can you be a homosexual and be a Christian and then as a secondary one and act on that behavior? Comes down to a definition of terms in one way, Um, but let me answer it for simplicity's sake like this. Yes, but to act on that behavior is inconsistent. Let me ask you this. Can you be a Christian and have an affair? Can you be a Christian and lie? Can you be a Christian and have hate or anger towards someone in your heart towards another. Sure, we do all the time, don't we? You are a Christian because you have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. But as you do so, he calls you out of behaviors that he calls darkness, homosexuality being one of them. It is not the way God intended uh, life to be according to the Bible and calls you to another way. Now, let me do a couple of clarification points on this because I know this is a hot topic and one that, that, that roots deeply for people. You may be a homosexual. You may have homosexual feelings, desires, and tendencies your entire life as a Christian. The goal of Jesus is not to make you heterosexual. Do you know that heterosexuality is not put up as a virtue? The goal is holiness. See, God calls us from exactly where we're at. For you, it might be homosexuality. The call might not be to be attracted to the other sex someday, but it is to honor God sexually in your body despite the feelings you might have. I want to uh, just share a, a resource for follow-up to you. Check this guy out. His name is Christopher Jan. It's either spelled U- Y-U-O-N or Y-U-A-N. I never remember. A-N, thank you. Christopher Jan, um, practicing homosexual man who came to Christ and has come to write and speak extensively about the the, the questions and struggles that that, that, that people who are homosexual are struggling with. Um, Check out his website and listen to some of his YouTubes and I think it'll take you a long way. Great question. Um, Here's a follow-up. Living together, married, etc., no commas, just living together, married, etc. If you're married, it is good to live together. Yeah. <laughs> We've learned God knows the number of hairs on our head, the numbers of tears we shed, but does God truly care when we pray for the petty things in our, quote, first country lives, you know, winning games, job promotions, the little things we have, when so many tragic, horrific things are happening in other parts of the world? Are you following the question? Does God care about the little things? And does God want us praying about those little things? And the answer is absolutely yes. See, God has an amazing capacity to not get tired. God has an amazing capacity to be able to maintain focus on more than one thing in his life. God cares deeply about the big things, the horrible things, the tragic things. God also cares deeply about the little things, the things that, let's face it, guys, make you who you are, that matter to you. And the Bible will talk about, you know, like, pray unceasingly. Come to God on those things. Open your heart. Come to him boldly. He might say no. He might say, you know what? I know you really want that. Trust me on this one. You really don't. But he wants to hear from you nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, God cares on that. All right. Let me refresh. Why does it appear that others' faith grows so easy when I feel a struggle every day? First, let me say this. Appearances can be deceiving. Sometimes the way a person carries themselves or purports themselves is not accurate to the internal struggle. So don't assume it always comes so easy, and let me warn you, despite what they might even say, because I've met a lot of people who are afraid to admit that they struggle in doubt. They think that if they, they admit that they struggle in doubt, that somehow it, it admits weakness, which it does. That, that, that somehow they, they, they might be in risk of, of losing grasp or losing control. So just be encouraged in that. I worry about people who don't wrestle with their faith. I worry about people who don't doubt and who don't struggle. Because what it tells me is they're taking an easy way out. What it tells me is they're not really dealing with with the real questions of this world. What it tells me is they've gotten to a comfortable place and leave me alone, thank you very much. How did that line go about taking risks? We believe the only way to grow in our faith is by stepping out of our comfort zones and taking leaps of faith. That sounds so fun and inspirational in a room like this, doesn't it? But when you're standing on a precipice and you're called to take a leap into the unknown and it's scary, Out there, but isn't that where you grow? Struggle in the faith and don't be afraid. Wrestle with it. But know you don't have to wrestle alone. It ain't fun to fight alone. And you got a church here and a pastor here and hopefully people in your lives that are willing to watch your back and struggle with you. All right, next question. How can a family that isn't in the habit of praying together or sharing their feelings together Start talking about God together. It's tough. It's tough, and I get it. And the answer is going to sound simplistically easy, but I invite you not to take it flippantly. Just start. Be the one who starts, even if your family isn't receptive. Be the one who starts, even if your family isn't responsive. Start talking about God in your life, start praying together. And that might not even mean, okay, like, let's do some perfunctory thing. Uh, come, Lord Jesus, be our guest before, before dinner because we've got to say the magic spell. But just go up to them and go, hey, can I just, like, pray for you? Or I've been struggling with this. Would you pray for me? And they may go, oh. Just let it hang. Let the oh uh, hang. Throw the impetus on them. You're not there to freak anyone out, but start that growth pattern together. And if you'd like to talk more, come and, uh, come and share with me afterwards. I'll take it. I'm not really sure where to go. If we are running out of trees, why doesn't God just make more? Um, Clarification on that one, if you will. Uh, He does and farmers do too. All right. Whoa. One of you has got like 12 texts in here. Um, What are demons exactly? How did they become demons? Now, at one fundamental level, there is a lot more speculation on this than there is actual, like, hardcore, like, chapter-verse answers. But what we can say is this. Demons are some kind of being that are spiritual, without body, that they're evilly inclined, that they're bent on sin and destruction of human beings in this world, that they got nothing on Jesus, and... Uh, it's led people for, for a variety of reasons to speculate that demons are probably fallen angels of some kind, angels that allied themselves with Satan, angels that have gone bad or wrong. And, 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 and as interesting as that stuff is, at the end of the day, it's not the substance of what really counts on this question. The way the Bible talks about it is just to say, realize that it's real. There are things going on in this world beyond what we see, but as a believer in Christ, you need not fear him, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world, and in Christ, authority has been granted to overcome. Here's one. I know God has forgiven me for everything through Jesus, but how do I forgive myself? I know God has forgiven me for everything through Jesus, but how do I be? How do I forgive myself? I'm going to ask for a moment of honesty here among you. Have you ever found it hard to forgive yourself or someone else? Raise your hand. Look around. The struggle to forgive is a universal human struggle. For the longest time, I wrestled so deeply with this over a person who had hurt me deeply and I couldn't let go. This was as a Christian this was as a pastor, and I knew what the scripture said, and I wanted in, in my mind and even in my heart to forgive, but I was so angry, and what happened was so wrong, and I struggled for so long to forgive, and I would ask myself questions. What, what does that mean for me? And I learned a few things. Number one is this. Forgiveness is not a feeling. See, when we say that we want to forgive, I think oftentimes what we're really saying is we want emotional release. We don't want this to emotionally affect us anymore. We don't want to feel anger or bitterness or harbor these kinds of feelings that kind of grip us and, you know what I mean? The stuff that gets the blood pumping again. We want to be free of that. But what I've come to learn is that forgiveness has more to do with action than feeling. It's a lot like love. Love has a lot more to do with what we do than what we feel, right? Even though the feeling is great, forgiveness is the same way. And here's how you begin. You say, I forgive you. You might not be able to do it to another person's face, but you start praying it every day. Lord, I don't want to forgive him, but help me to forgive him. I forgive you. Maybe you need to start saying that to yourself. Lord, I hate myself. I can't believe I did that. Lord, you forgive me. I forgive me because if you start practicing that and doing that every day for as long as it takes, suddenly the feelings start to change. Suddenly you start to engage in the war against that side of you that doesn't want to forgive and it might be a long bloody war, but I tell you it's better than raising the white flag and giving yourself in defeat to self-hatred. Begin there and if you're struggling deeply, come talk with me. Here's one. Can I justify listening to secular music as a devout Christian? Uh, Yeah, sure. Um, There's an amazing passage in the Bible I want to encourage you to read. It's Romans chapter 14. It talks about those who are weak in their faith and those who are strong in their faith. Here's the irony of it. Many people in the Christian world today tend to think of those who are strong in their faith as those who are kind of like what I would call monks. Those who... Don't do anything, taste anything, touch anything, avoid all things secular in this world, sit in their closet all day and pray. All right? Now, hey, there's nothing wrong with doing that if that is what God's called you to do, but the way that Romans 14 frames it is that those who are strong in the faith are those who can go engage in the things of this world that aren't sinful, and secular music is not sinful inherently, without it eroding or destroying their faith. You know what I mean? Think about it like this. Think about it like, how do you not get sick from a bacterium or a virus? Well, if you have a resistance build, you don't get it, right? Someone who is strong against it won't be affected by it and can go in and be exposed. And so the question really is on this, does listening to secular music or fill in the gaps for anything else, secular movies or you know whatever your, your, your shtick happens to be, Can you engage in it without compromising your loyalty to Christ? Can you engage in it without it leading you towards sinful behavior? Can you engage in it without it awakening deep-seated temptations in you that seek to knock you down? And if you can, rock on. And if you can't, do you know what Jesus says? If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Cut it out of your life because it is better to go without it than to be destroyed by it. Make sense? All right, great question. (laughs) Yeah. How can I pray constantly when I cannot literally constantly pray? (laughs) Uh, I'm going to give you an OCD flashback here in my own life. I actually tried this once. For about nine months, I tried praying continually. It became a mantra. I don't suggest it, all right? I don't suggest it. You know, the, the people, especially the monastic communities who who find their vocation and purpose in life to be prayer have thought about this and wrote about this extensively. And what they'll often say is that prayer is more of a life posture. It's not so much about verbalizing or articulating thoughts or words as it is about a life that is an open conversation to what God might have to say And letting the heart be in his presence and communicating with him, which sounds really cool, don't you think? A lot cooler than walking around going, Dear God, please be with me. Dear God, please be with me. Dear God, please be. I mean, right? There's something really powerful there, and I encourage you, read some of the monastics. One you may want to start with is a man named Thomas Merton. Mention that name within like eight miles of our spiritual formation director here, Keith Peters, and you're going to watch him like geek out. Um, But read Thomas Merton sometime. And uh, again, as always, follow up on that if you'd like. Okay, here's one. I'm going to summarize it for its, uh, for its length. But it, it's dealing with the problem of evil. How can a good and loving God allow so many wars and tragedies and horrors happen in this world? We've been there, right? This subject is called theodicy. And if you would like to really engage in this one, because this is a deep one. This could take up like eight messages, right? Plus a thousand books, I'm just going to give you one insight into this here today to maybe try and help you think differently about a good and loving God in this context. I have two daughters. The last time I read the FBI statistics, there is either a one in three or one in four chance that they will be sexually assaulted. Predominantly before they're like 25 years old. They have a 50% shot of getting divorced, all right, statistically speaking. Am I gonna let them get married? Am I gonna let them date? Or do I protect them from the horrors that could be by locking them away, by controlling their choices, by blocking out options? To them that could also result in great joy and meaning and fulfillment. You ever like drive down I-90 and they put the stats up of how many traffic deaths happened in Illinois this year? Will I let them get in the car or should I keep them because there's a chance? You hear what I'm saying? Could they fall? Should I make them wear a bike or motorcycle helmet everywhere they go? Now, at at part, this is getting a little comical and flippant, and I don't mean to, to handle a deep question lightly, but there is something pertinent here that God gives freedom. And if freedom is really freedom, that allows for people to do horrible things in this world. And we want God to come down and stop it and fix it and prevent it, which is akin to us saying is, God, we do not want freedom. We do not want you to let us do what we want, which sometimes we don't. But because of something greater by far, God does. Now, there's another side to the equation. That might answer human suffering inflicted by human evil. But what do you do about things like Hurricanes that wipe people out like, you know, just haphazardly. Natural disasters, plagues, disease that goes rampant, cancer. You know, the Bible says that when God made this world, that was not the way it was supposed to be. God never intended this world to behave that way. It's the after effect, according to the Bible, the result of God giving people freedom to choose their own way and then the the concomitant results and consequences that come, and not just upon us, but upon all creation because of the sin. Sin is more than just what lives inside me. It has a ripple effect that influences the cosmos. And if you're crying out, Lord, why? I want to tell you this. The Bible is filled with people crying out the exact same way. And there are various places where God gives various answers. But I am going to give just one this morning. In one place in 2 Peter, it's chapter 3, I encourage you to read it. It talks about how the people of God are crying out, Lord, when are you going to reverse this? When are you going to fix this? And it says a line that a lot of us may know from the Bible but misapply to creation. It says, for the Lord, a thousand years is like a day. He's not talking about how Genesis 1 works there. What he's talking about is this, that God is patient. Patient with evil? Yeah. How come? Because it says that God does not want to see anyone judged or perish, but all people to come to repentance. Because if God came now, there would be people in this world that would be judged for eternity. God doesn't want to see that happen. So he waits and he hopes that he has to judge no one. And we suffer, and we long in that time, trusting that there is a God who has not abandoned us, but has found alternate ways to come to us in our suffering instead of just the quick fix. It's 9.51. I got to about one-tenth of what you've texted in. These are amazing questions, guys, and I just want to let you know where it goes from here. At 10.30, we're doing this again with a clean deck. If you're burning on a question, hey, stick around for another half hour of this to come and roll the dice and maybe we'll get to your question then. If there's also one that's really bothering you and stirring in you, I'm gonna get to some things at the end of the service today to tell you some outlets with that. But for now, I just want to invite the band to come forward. Guys, way to go with some amazing questions here today. I want to invite you to rise and I want to invite you this morning to just take a moment and just pray with me, okay? Lord, I thank you for these people who have the courage to ask. God, people who are wrestling with you in, 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 in deep and abiding ways. I pray for the people here today that are struggling in their walk of faith. The God, you would speak into their lives, give them insight. Answers, and if not answers, at least direction. Or things to hope in and trust in. Things of substance. God, I pray that as a people, we never stop asking. We never stop asking and wanting to know who you are and what you're up to in this world and what your message to us is all about. You know, God, just give us hunger for it awaken in us a desire to want to know you more. God, be with us on the journey. Thank you. We love you. Take our hearts, oh God. Our faith. Forgive us when we make a mess of it. May we know that with you, every moment we can start anew again. Amen.